Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. Hey everyone, welcome back to A Little Better. This is Aaron Hickson, Henrietta Campus Pastor. So glad you guys are listening in. We're excited to have uh, a guest with us again today. Uh, Pastor Melvin Cross is going to be with us. Melvin Cross Jr. I feel like I, I've never included Jr. I rarely say Jr. now. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, I see it in your I see it in your signature. I should be I should be dropping it. But anyway, um, Ashley is out. His wonderful wife is out saving the world right now. So we're we're gonna we're gonna have Doctor. Melvin. Yeah. Ashley. Doctor. Doctor okay. Cross. So you guys have to settle for me today. She's out. <laughs> Doing her thing. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we're excited to jump in. And Drew, again, thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, we're going to, the last few weeks, we've been kind of addressing the reality of race in our world and how it affects our church, um, and specifically here in Rochester. And today, the goal was to try to get as practical as we could. And as we we're having some of this pre-conversation, uh, Melvin, I love that you you gave us some things that you've already challenged the people that God has called you to pastor with. So, Pastor us, man. What what can what are some practical steps that we should be taking? I know you've already mentioned both you and Ashley really emphasized education last week, which mm-hmm. I want to give a big second to because we'll get into this, I'm sure, at some point. But much of what we're fighting today is a battle that is unseen. It's not mm-hmm. overt; it's covert. Racism hasn't stopped. It has changed. It has morphed. It has become more subtle. And so we genuinely not just majority culture, I think everyone has to do the work of seeing racism for what it is, which usually takes a period of awakening. And that almost always comes through research. So before we can even begin taking practical steps, we have to see it and seeing takes research. So I I love that you said that last week. And I want to just reemphasize that while that might not sound like a technical, practical step, if you aren't seeing racism yet, you're probably not even ready for some of these other steps until you begin to see it. So yeah, even what you said, I, I I encourage people to read books that don't agree with their 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 normal stance. So mm-hmm. read books that will just give you a, a, another perspective, a different level of understanding as a as it relates to racism, systemic racism, historical racism. Read these books um, with a heart to understand instead of a heart to always debunk. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's definitely necessary as it pertains to. Uh, education and this is the perfect time this friday is juneteenth it's yes. we feel like it should be a national holiday it is the july 4th for black people mm-hmm. it is when we learn that slavery had ended because we know that after the declaration after um president lincoln signed that after president lincoln signed that document the slaves didn't they weren't aware of their freedom for weeks and months on end so it was this day that we celebrate our freedom. So this is a good time for us to start to really educate ourselves on what these things look like. Because most people in American culture, they don't know what a Juneteenth is, right? That's and right. so it's these, these, these cultural significant moments for us that we feel like everybody should be aware of. I love that. You're right. It is a perfect time. And as in this cultural moment, so many media outlets, including bookstores, et cetera, are making their stuff as accessible as possible, even free. You know, so many books, anti-racist books are, are reduced costs on the Kindle store, et cetera. So there's so many documentaries on Netflix too. I actually, and I've been watching them on uh, Netflix or Amazon prime that are for free. They've been so helpful. And I, 
I would much rather watch a movie than read. I don't know about you guys, but like if I can watch it and take it in, but you feel the experience that people walk through as well. And it's really powerful. So education is a great first. And in fact, it is the, it is the vital first step. Um, and I hope we're all reading and watching broadly to understand all the different perspectives um, that make up the racial makeup of our country. But let's get down to the, the practicals that you've had some time to think about. Uh, Melvin, lead us, lead us here about some steps we could be taking. So one very practical step is to establish and cultivate relationships with people that don't look like you, people that don't have your worldview, people that didn't grow up like you and hear their heart and hear their experience. Um, that is one way that will help you come into an awareness or an understanding of another person's experience in the same city, in the same country, but different, different outcomes. So don't be afraid to have that conversation with your black friend. Don't be afraid to make more black friends. You know, you, you hear a multiple or diverse experience, but there's a central theme and that theme is, hey, we're very aware that we're black. Not that we want to be, but because the system makes us, it, it forces us to be aware of who we are and how we are. So establish that relationship, cultivate that relationship, ask those hard questions. Um, and when you ask those questions, ask from a place of genuinely wanting to know and not to debunk. One of the things that you do not want to do is to deny or to make one's experience feel like they are not relative or that they are just a you know, that's your perspective. No, this is my reality. So those conversations are necessary. Two, if we want to help our black and brown communities and we want to come into a, 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 a place of unity and support, very practical way, go support a black owned business. Black owned businesses have a, have a lifespan of three years or less because wow. of the lack of support, because of the lack of funding. And so this might take you a little bit out of your comfort zone. Start with the restaurant. We, the food is amazing. Go to a Jamaican <laughs> restaurant. Small restaurant. Let's go. Fine. Go, go to, I mean, it's amazing. Support a black owned business. And that will, that will bring you into our experience. You will hear our conversations and you, the more you engage with people, they become, that humanizes them. They're not just their issues. They're not just their, their protests. We are not just looters, but it humanizes us. So support black businesses, develop relationships with people who do not look like you. And a very, and a third practicality, this is what I told our people, is to fill out the census form, you know, so that our city, our nation can know, hey, we are here. This is the community we live in. We want the same support. We want to have the same economy that others have the ability and have been afforded to have. And so those are some very practical approaches that we can take um, so that everybody can know that Black Lives Matter, so that everybody can know that there is, there is a need for reformation injustice in today's age. Last thing, last practical point is definition of language. Oh. Drew and I were just talking about this. When you hear defund the police, I'm sure that kind of makes you cringe in your rational mind saying, what in the heck do they mean by defund the police? <laughs> this, this encourages lawlessness. What are we going to do when somebody's, you know, a store is being held up? Are we just going to pray it away? No, that's not what we mean. We do not mean take all of their money away. What we actually mean when they say defund the police, we actually mean reallocate some of their funds. Reallocate some of their funds to people that are trained and equipped to handle situations and circumstances that they may not be trained for. Like, for example, mental health. When people have mental health breakdowns, the last people they should call is the police. 
um, a person who may be on the autistic spectrum or they might have mental or emotional needs, when they see somebody carrying a gun, it might heighten you know, their, their, their moment or that experience they're having. So we're saying we allocate those funds to people that, can, that are better suited to handle those circumstances and situations. We need the police, but we want to make sure that we reallocate funds into our community so that situations are not heightened and they're handled in a, in a different way. And, you know, Melvin, I think those are the two big problems. And I think they play hand in hand when you talk about clarity. But also, I think there's a responsibility on, you know, the majority culture to actually, like you said, if we had those relationships with people in the minority culture, when we heard defund the police, we would actually know what people were saying because we would have those relationships. But what happens is so many people are offended. Like we're so offended so easily in our mm. culture today that I think it actually creates a barrier from us having those relationships because we come from different perspectives and we're so busy defending ours. And then the lack of clarity of like defund the police, man, I cringe at that statement. But once I get to know, hey, what do actually people really mean by that? I think if we had clarity and, and a perspective change, I think we could come together and see change. How do we get past those two things? One, you just, you hit the nail on the head, Drew. I, everybody's so offended. Everybody's offended by Black Lives Matter. Everybody's offended by um, white privilege. Everybody's offended by these words and these statements that we are putting out there. And so if we can let down those guards, which I know is a challenge, and seek to understand rather than defend, we will be in a much better place. Like right now, I am very comfortable with having these conversations with, with Drew and Aaron because I've gained a level of understanding about who they are, their heart and their approach, not just towards me, but their heart towards God. So I feel a level of safety and security. These conversations only happen when we can have these level, when we can feel this way. And so once again, to, to avoid offense and to really establish healthy relationships with people that aren't like you, we have to have these conversations. Understanding over offense. Let's seek to understand rather than to defend. And that, that's in today's culture, that's the first thing we go to is defend, 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 mm. right? Let me defend my nation. Let me defend my people. Let me defend my experience. Where in our actuality, especially us who are a part of the body of Christ, we should seek to have understanding rather than defend. What does the scripture says? And all you're getting, get an understanding. What you don't understand, you will automatically fight against and you will automatically defend. Mm. Defend against. Yeah, that is my goodness. <laughs> so key. And I, for, for me, as I've been trying to live through this, you know, over the last couple of years, I think the thing I keep coming back to anytime I have, and man, I've got a, I, I always joke that with my wife that I have like an internal attorney that like is constantly fighting with everything I ever hear. I'm like, well, technically. And like, <laughs> I'm just annoying like that about everything. And that's been true every step of the way and of this journey um, for me. And anytime I read a new book and I try to read on opposite spectrums, it pulls me to like, well, you know, I guess I see that point. But what, I, what keeps centering me is saying, like, there are real people who I love, who I respect, who are followers of Christ, who don't look like me, who keep telling me this is real. And so I have to say, not like ignore the facts or something like that. I just have to keep coming back to the fact that, like, I would not, I cannot ignore people that that bear the name of Christ who are saying, this is real. You know what I mean? Like this mean, whatever it is that's true of their experience or what they're calling for or asking for, I can't ignore that. Even if 
even if I don't know all the next steps or the right steps, I have to at least be willing to say, I'm ready to hear you. And I'm not, I don't need to dismiss you. You know what I mean? Definitely. Definitely. And that proximity, as you already described, is, is what enables that to even be something that could occur. <laughs> something happened this past weekend. Um, I was downtown at another rally. It was several other churches there. And every time the person with the mic, because it was black pastors, white pastors, we were all out there. Every time somebody yelled, Black Lives Matter, you could just feel the environment just tense up. This one moment I was standing next to a, a white guy who I love. He's a pastor in the city. And they said, Black Lives Matter. And in my fashion, I put my fist, I said, Black Lives Matter. And he leaned over to me, put his arm around me. He says, I agree. He says, I believe we are in a time where I'm going to speak for you and you're going to speak for me. And the reason why I can speak on your behalf is because I know you and you know me. And that's what's necessary. Knowing, knowing, knowing one another, knowing the intent and knowing the heart. And so knowing me right now, you know, I am not trying to cause an insurrection. I am not trying to burn America down. What I am trying to do is I want to I want to experience America like you experience America. I want to feel safe like you feel safe in America. I want to be able to have these same opportunities like you have. So hear my heart, hear my pain, hear my discomfort and knowing that it's not coming out of a place of malice or offense. It's an honest cry to want to have that same experience that you would have. And when you know me, you can then begin to empathize and feel the pain of your brother and say, hey, if my brother's feeling like this, I'm feeling like this. And I'm gonna take on I'm gonna take on his burden so that he doesn't have to carry it alone. So good. <laughs> and I love, you know, I've been following you on social media and I've loved to see, you know, your engagement in our community in particular. It's such a challenge to me and so inspirational. Even like I loved you sharing the post about uh Lieutenant Aaron, and I'm totally blanking on his last name, who passed away tragically this past week. Yeah. I loved you saying, like, I prayed with that man yesterday, you know what I mean? In front of the public safety building. Yeah. So. I think I think we as human beings, especially Christians, we have to learn how to manage our emotions. I mean, you can still be angry about one thing, but that doesn't mean you have to cut the other thing off, right? Mm-hmm. Like we are dynamic in our being, right? We can have this emotion, have this thought, have this feeling, and one doesn't have to cancel out the other. I can say we need to redirect funds for the police and still love the police officer, still right. hold his hand, and pray together and have this conversation and feel an honest pain when the man dies. How callous and cold would I be if, I, if he died? I'm like, oh, well, he's a police officer. Heck no, that's not, I'm probably saying heck too much on this one. <laughs> no, that's good, actually, that's good. Bring it, you're good. Actually, you're normally good. tapping my leg and bringing the full of me back in. <laughs> why, why is that, Melvin, though? Like, why in our culture does it feel like it has to be an either-other mentality of, like, I either mourn with my, the black and brown community and hate police officers, or I love police officers and I'm saying, screw you, black and brown community. Like, why can't there be this, what has created that and why, how do we, go about like coming together and saying like, listen, I can stand up for what is wrong. Still love the police officers who do the job and wear the badge with honor. No, there's needs to be some system changes or retraining, but also mourn and love and fight for the black and brown community. Like what has happened where we've gotten into this? Like you got to pick one and you only get one option. Right. Right. I think historic, this might be a little controversial, but I'm okay with it. Bring it. From the place of Christianity, we have relegated our Christianity to conservatism and liberal liberalism, and that mm. is not the way of the kingdom. 
So it's either this or that. There's really no in-betweens, right? And so we really have to come away from this politicized Christianity and get back to the heart of God, where I prefer my brother over myself, right? Me and Drew are still building an establishing relationship, right? We've known each other probably six months now. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting to get to the point where I can be there at his point of need and vice versa, because that is the heart of the kingdom where I can put my, whatever I have going on, my beliefs, my feelings, and I can put that down and go stand with my brother when he's at a place and at a point of need. We've forsaken that whole place because we, our nation, our culture is so polarized. Mm. You can't, there's no middle, if you're in the middle ground, you, you're weak, you're whimsical, you're, you don't know where you stand. No, the reason why I can stand in the middle ground in a healthy and sturdy place and not feel like I'm compromising is because I've learned that everything isn't just so black and white. And I know that's tough for us, even as Christians, because there's sin and then there's righteousness. But how many of us, since we've been saved, since we've been born again, have lived in that place of trying to get it right and still being accepted by the Lord. And so it is, that's life, that's culture, that's the world we live in. And so, yes, I believe that we should defund the police, but yes, I still pray for the, I pray for the police. I pray for their safety. I pray for their covering. I pray for their families. And if those who are listening to this podcast, if we could all understand that it doesn't have to be either or, I think we can come to a, we can come to the table and have a better understanding. Yes. Mm. And it goes back to that relationship that, that right there builds that perspective. It brings that clarity and it allows us to come to the table, not offended, but say, how can we make this right? Because yeah. we're both um, at the same place in an agreement. And I just think that's huge. Definitely. And f- frankly, that we, we have been in agreement and have had a great, you know, calm spirit where we've been engaged in this conversation on this podcast the last few weeks. But brothers will argue and disagree, right? So like if we come to the table together, like let's just say the three of us were to sit down and try to write some policy, right? You know, tomorrow, I'm going to bet somewhere along the line, Drew and I are going to disagree. I mean, I'll agree with Melvin, but Drew and I are, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, I'll be right. That's, that's, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like there's going to be disagreement. There's disagreement on everything, but like the moment, and I, I love, I've heard you talk about cancel culture before, but like the moment that we decide I can't hear you because you disagree. And as a result of that, you're cut off, you're defriended. I'll never listen to you again. You're done. And that your influence, your voice, and anyone who sounds even a little bit like you is now gone. You know what I mean? Instead of saying like, man, Pastor Melvin, I need his perspective so desperately, even if somewhere along the line down the road, we're going to find a spot where I'm like, shoot, I can't get down with that. Like I, I wouldn't say it that way. I can still if I don't have a relationship with you, I'm going to find myself going and see, this is what I knew. I knew this was going to happen where they, they, whoever the they is, they were going to be like that. Cause that's how they are. Instead of saying like, no, pastor Melvin and I disagree on the workings out of our shared heart. Like that is a radically different thing. So talk to us about cancel culture. Cause I, I love what you've had to say about that. I believe that cancel culture has of course has seeped into the church, but we cannot, we, we, we close the door to understanding when the first thing we automatically do is cancel people out. We shut them out. They don't hear us and we don't hear them. Um, even though they speak the sentiments of their hearts, 
those hearts need to be adjusted and they need to be changed and they will never be challenged if they don't have anybody to challenge them. How can we challenge them if we cancel them out? How can we give them another perspective if, if, if we don't have, if we no longer have their ear? If, if we say we've canceled you, we've cut you off. We don't, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Who then is left to give them the perspective of the ones who are crying out for change. Yes. So we have to go beyond this whole cancel culture. If you say something wrong, you said something, brothers will fight. I'm not sure how you grew up in your house, but I grew up with brothers and sisters. Me and sisters will fight and it's different. They, will, they won't talk to each other for a week. But me and my brother <laughs> will fight. I mean, we will fight. An hour later, we're walking down to McDonald's. Right. On the shoulder laughing and just being, you know, that's right. how it should be even with the relationship. Like, my brother in Christ, we might disagree, but that doesn't mean I'm going to cancel him out. Oh. I still need to hear his heart. I still need to hear his voice. And yes, he needs to hear my heart and hear my voice, which will bring a balance, which will bring a level of balance and what, which will also help your approach to a matter, right? So this whole cancel culture, I say it's, it's of the devil. He's canceling cancel culture right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that a little bit because I think this is what people don't understand about leadership is leadership is having the ability to have influence on both spectrums and bring people together. It's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is like have people say to me, we got to go faster. And people say, we got to go slower. And if I choose to say, okay, let's go faster. And I neglect everybody who's saying we need to go slower. What I do is I just end up losing my influence of changing the people who actually need to come with us but setting the right pace where I'm not neglecting the responsibility I have. How do you do that? So I would love in some insight on like, how do you navigate people on both extremes, knowing you got to let some people go on both sides, but not wanting to lose people who need to see and, 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 and kind of bring people together. It's hard to do. It's like one of the hardest mm-hmm. things to do. Drew, I was about to say, once you find that out, you let me know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but this is one thing you, you just, and I'm glad you brought it from a leader to a leadership perspective. Every decision that a leader makes is going to suffer some type of criticism. And in my leadership style, sometimes when I get a little more aggressive, I always tell people, you don't have the right to criticize a seat that you have never or probably will never sit in. Mm. You don't understand the pressure. Let me write that down real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Melvin, you just gave him words he didn't need. The constituencies, the dynamics that we have to deal with on the heels of our decision-making. So I'm going to give you an example. I went to go pray with the police last week, right? And I knew I had an issue because in my mind, while I'm walking, go pray for the police, I'm thinking, man, these Black Lives Matter people are going to see me praying for the police and they're going to me to sell out. And in that moment, I had to say, so what? Because I'm not operating just from a secular a secular worldview. I have a Christian worldview that I'm going to pray for those who have governing authority. I'm going to pray for these men and women who are protecting us. Though the system is not perfect, these are still human beings. And so I had to begin to really wrestle with that. Do I pray for the police or do I stand with them? And then I said, wait a minute, it doesn't have to be either or. I'm going to do both. I'm going to mm-hmm. do both. And anybody who has something to say, they're going to have something to say regardless That's right. of what I do. And so I do my best to articulate and to convey these messages. But I tell people, until you've sat in a place of leadership, you don't have the right to critique or to criticize 
what we do. We're not going to always get it right. But if you know your leader, if you know your pastor, if you know your mayor, if you know your governor, if you know those who have that authority, know that they are trying to make the best decision for everybody. Mm. And it's not going to always, it's not going to always pan out that way. There's going to be somebody who is upset who doesn't agree. So we have to be okay with disagreement. Yeah. And man, I loved everything you just said in particular, because I think it's so important for the people in the majority culture of, in our church who don't have proximity to people of color. I think it's so important for them to have heard you just describe schools of thought within people of color. Like the people that you pastor, the people that you love, you are not right now are not a superhero to all of the people in your church. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I just think like Drew, Drew's getting, Drew's getting hate mail on both sides. And I say both as if, racism is like, okay. And not okay. You know what I mean? Like on, on the approach and everything, Drew's getting hate mail on both sides. And I think people can typically majority culture, people can see the nuance inside of their own camp. And then they look at the other, the they, and they say, they all operate out of one perspective. And so to hear you go like, no, 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 (laughs) I'm getting it from both sides too. It's good to just know, like nobody's a monolith. Everybody has dynamics inside of their subsection of, of humanity. <laughs> Definitely. I, and I, I think that's just human nature. There are cult, we have a culture and then we have a subculture and then we have a culture within the subculture and in each one of those cultures or those levels, they have different dynamics we have to take into consideration. And so I, I believe at the end of the day, we have to be able to hear the heart of the other person. I said this, I think last, last episode is Jesus said it best. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment of them all. Mm-hmm. And the way that we know that we are of him, it's not the way we preach. It's not even our outreach. It's the way we love one another. Mm-hmm. And if we don't love one another, if I don't love my white brother, if I don't love my, my black brother, if I don't love my Asian or my Hispanic brother, they can't tell who I belong to. Mm-hmm. They think I'm one of them because my love walk is so bad, mm. right? And so these are opportunities for us to perfect our love walk. Instead of once again, instead of defending and fighting for your belief, let me let me let me see let me work to understand so that my love walk can be perfected. Wow, that's powerful. <laughs> are there any other things that you've encouraged? You've you've already given us so much, but is there anything else you feel like that? you would encourage us to do, you've encouraged your people to do. I thought that census thing is so practical. I, like what a way to pastor a specific, a specific group with a specific need. You've got census documentation at church on Sunday. Like, I love that. <laughs> that's, that's the intersection of faith in the marketplace. Um, so yeah, get, get, what, what other thoughts do you have for us or, or. So, you know, for and I know this is going to sound real cliche is because, you know, some people always say, well, I have a friend that's black, right? I have a very, very close friend, childhood friend. He's white. And that's like my brother. Like, you know, I love him. And so he said, Mel, what do I need to do? What do I need to say? And I said, I need you to use, here it goes, your privilege to speak to people that are are like you, to give them a level of understanding. Don't argue with them, but help them to understand. Hmm. You can help them to understand if you can help them to understand your brother, your friend that you've known since we were in, in second grade, you've done your part. So put your play, put yourself in my shoes. Help them to understand how it feels to walk in Melvin Cross's shoes. And so 
I say the same to, to you, to you guys, and to everybody who's listening. Take time to help them have an understanding. Don't be so defensive. Don't be so confrontational. Say, hey, this is the reality of where we are. You know, there is no system that is perfect, right? Even in the church, we understand that even religion has some areas to perfect and we have some areas to improve upon. And so if we, the church, have areas that we need to improve upon, you have to believe that the government has areas that they need to improve on. You have to believe that policing has areas that they need to improve on. You have to believe that the educational system has areas that they need to improve on. And once we come to that agreement, that's a place that we can work from. Aha, so you do see that there's a need for improvement. This is what they are saying that needs to be improved for them as a people. And that improvement will not impede on your way of living. It will not take away anything that you have. What it will actually do is allow another people group to enjoy the pleasures and the benefits that you've already enjoyed. So give that level of understanding, give that level of empathy. That's very essential. And I think it can be very I'm not sure how practical it is, but I know it's necessary. Yeah. And that's, and that's exactly go, go what through. Jesus did for us, right? Like he, mm-hmm. from heaven to earth, talk about a tough transition, right? But that's what the majority culture has to do is like out of our place of, you know, where we don't feel the impact, we have to feel your impact, resonate with it, see the perspective and want to do what Jesus did to come out of our place and help you experience what we've experienced. Like that is the gospel. And, and, and I think what you said, Melvin, is clutch about a commonality where we can be say like, can we just, before we do anything, can we all agree something could change? This could improve. If we can all just begin with like, I don't think there's anybody on any side of any issue that's saying like, you know what's perfect? Every established institution, like, <laughs> No, everyone can agree there's something wrong. Like, okay, can we just start with there's something wrong? Everyone would like to improve. Can we begin to have a conversation about how it could improve? Let me explain how this has impacted me. Oh, you, you, it hasn't impacted you this way. Let's talk about why that might be. Like, if we can agree upon the fact that we'd all like to see it improve and that there is something wrong, then we don't have to jump to, because usually we're talking very specific methods of change and very specific mm-hmm. outcomes. And that's really kind of backwards thinking, even though like I recognize in the moment as an activist, we need to be clear about like where we're headed and we need to capture cultural moments. But at the same time, if we're going to build rapport, and as you said, especially in majority culture, if we're going to be influencing those around us to say like, let's just start with, can we improve? Can we agree something could need to change? Right. And if we can agree on that, then yeah, we can end up debating methods. But like if, because we usually start with the extreme of where we'd like it to go, people get so defensive, like, I, well, that sounds like socialism or that sounds like whatever, that they're out before we've even talked about like, well, you, you haven't even agreed that something's wrong yet because you just don't like where we are suggesting one way that we could make it better, you know? So uh, that understanding and empathy can, even if you don't ever land in the same place as your brother and sister of color about how it should be done, please don't spend your time ignoring or rejecting their cries for help. I just think that's the part that feels so plays, but you want to land in the same vicinity. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like don't dehumanize that. They, that these people who are saying we need help or would like change. Don't, don't dehumanize them with, since I don't like the way you're going to do it, I'm actually just going to decide there's no change necessary. You know, that's, a frustrating thing. <laughs> Those of us who are married, which is all of us in here, we understand 
the the dynamic and the beauty of not always agreeing with our spouses, right? You know, our spouses are going to do something. <laughs> Let me turn that around. We're going to do something that our spouse. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> You're a wise man, right? <laughs> not like they do not disagree. They are not going to agree with it. But even in that disagreement, we still consider them over ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? We still try to see their perspective. Ultimately, we as husbands, we we're going to acclimate and we're going to figure it out. We're going to fix it. And so it is with our family in Christ, you know, disagreements, but we're going to figure out a way to fix this. We're going to figure out a way to acclimate. We're going to figure out a way to make that compromise that's necessary. I think that's that's the answer. We have to find a way to make to make a compromise. I always say this. I want to be on the right side of history. I want to be on the right side of the change. And I think we can all find ourselves on that side when we start to have an understanding, um, have the desire to bring a solution instead of just fighting, just for fighting's sake. I think a lot of times we just fight, just we have the right to fight. You know, I'm going to fight because this is what I've known to be true. This is what I've known. This is what I was taught. And, and, and then we need to realize everything that we were taught were, was, isn't always right. You know, mm-hmm. and so having that having that willingness to to come to the place of understanding. I did, and maybe maybe we'll close with this after you guys give it a chance to respond. But um, I read this week in a book that talked about uh, kind of racial awakening, especially for white folks, and talked about how one of the questions that they always end up asking early in the journey of recognizing some of these things is like, "What can I do? What can I do? What are my practical steps?" Which is what we're doing right here, right? We're jumping mm-hmm. to the practical. And this book, one of the things I really appreciated it was just saying like, "Don't sweat all the practical stuff right here, right now, necessarily, until you've come to a place of really listening and understanding." Because if, and I think the the, the genius of that is. If you're sweating the how, but the why hasn't implanted in your soul, then you will end up getting derailed with arguments on how and then giving up on the why. But if you allow yourself to sit in the why, sit in lament, sit in agreement, sit in listening, and in a posture of entering into the suffering of people who are who are claiming suffering, if you can sit there for long enough that it 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 really changes your heart then you'll spend the rest of your life figuring out how. Even if you don't ever agree on how it should be done, you won't stop. But white folks in particular can start the journey. They don't let why take place in their heart. They get distracted with how, and then they can walk away. This is too much. It's too emotional. It's too much effort. It's too much risk. And they go back to the way of life before because they were unchanged at the heart level, which as I've heard you say before, you can't turn off your blackness. (laughs) And so that means uh, you're going to have to live with how and why and everything else in between for the rest of your life. And the only way that I will shut down my ability to leave is if my heart is transformed by proximity and love. I agree wholeheartedly. Proximity, love, empathy, it's the matter of the heart. Hmm. All right, Drew. Shut us down, brother. I feel like we almost need to pray because we some 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 hearts just got changed. <laughs> I mean, I'll just say this, Melvin. I love you, dude. And I'm I'm so thankful for your leadership and your voice and your life matters to me, man. Thank it you. Does. I love you too, Drew. I appreciate you. I really do. Thank you for this opportunity to have this honest conversation. I appreciate you, Aaron. 
It's a dude, absolutely our pleasure. And uh, thank you for your wisdom and leadership. And I just said we should pray and now we're not going to. Thanks everybody for listening <laughs> and keep praying for, uh, for change in our country together as a, as a church. We, we believe that the gospel will take root and Rochester will be a better place for it. Thanks everybody. Thank you.